We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the mail that never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to whale mail. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. For this special mailbag podcast, you guys know him on Twitter as iPacers Blog, but it's Derek Kramer. Derek, how you doing, man? Doing good. Thanks for having me. How are you guys? Doing awesome. Doing well. You doing good, man? I'm doing great. But hey, Derek, nice to nice to. I don't know. Actually, maybe you and I might have been on an episode together a while back. But either way, it sounds like it's been too long. Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, it's nice to be here with a uh, part of our or like a uh, Pacers Illuminati with our secret meeting that we had forever ago that we can't talk about yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah let's uh let's just i think some people already know about that but it's it is what it is uh we'll get into the mailbag right away because we do have some questions to get to and our first one comes from pd pete he said say the pacers luck up and get the third pick in the draft and Wimby and miller are off the board are you drafting for need or taking the best player available derek i'll start with you so i think the the key here is if you think that whatever spot you're in a two or three, if you think the guy like scoot, if you think that guy is a generational talent and none of the other guys are, you take them regardless of what you think the fit is. And then you see if it can work. And then if it, and like worst case scenario, well, maybe not worst, worst case scenario is a bust, I guess, but worst case scenario, and he's still good, but the fit just isn't right. You find a trade and then you make it work like the Kings did with, Trading Tyrese, they got Sabonis, and that's working out well for them right now. So you try to find somebody that you can switch for a position of need later if it doesn't work, and then really if it's a generational talent and you think that guy is that kind of guy, you just got to take him. Botch? I'm completely with you. I just feel like team needs can change in a month, a few months, a year. I mean, free agency is right after the draft. So 
who knows if the Pacers are able to address a need at, at a certain position. I think just in sports, you take the best player available. It's easy to say now, but I remember when Monte Ellis was a fringe all-star and the Warriors took Steph Curry. And I remember I was like, what are they doing over there? And now look, Steph Curry is one of the best players. The Colts, they took Andrew Luck with Peyton Manning on the roster. I mean, the Pacers, the Pacers had Danny Granger in all-star form when they drafted Paul George. So it just feels like there's no scenario where I've seen Scoot Henderson fall past three. So even the Pacers are heavy at guards, and I assume that is the player that would be there if you know the top two players that you mentioned are taken. I, I just think that maybe there's a team that wants to trade a lot of assets or picks to move up to three. There's always that, but take the best player available uh, in this situation, especially with the top three picks. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Flatchy, talking about listening to trade offers. Now, I, I personally would not do that. I would just take Scoot Henderson because yeah. I think he's that much of a generational talent. And if you feel like there's a, a, a an issue there with him and Ben Mather, and then you just let them kind of earn that spot and let them battle mm-hmm. it out on the court. And whoever's a better player, I think you keep. And if the other one doesn't like the role, then maybe you try to find a spot for him. And I think that's a tough thing to say after just being so excited after Matherin's rookie season and not knowing what Scoot's going to look like in the NBA. But, you know, I think that there's always a chance they could play together. I think that's one thing we probably overlook too much just because, well, we're like, oh, Matherin's a two. Well, I mean, he did play some minutes at three. I think he can guard threes. He's big enough. He's six foot six. It's not like he's like six two or six three. And we know that Scoot's a little bit smaller. That's the thing. So uh, I think that there's an interesting dynamic there with Scoot, and it, it probably doesn't make the most sense on paper. But to me, Derek, I think that this is just like a slam dunk. You just take him and, and run with it. And even if you think he's better than Brandon Miller, I think you can make the case that you take him at two if you really do think he's that much better and, and think he can change your team that much. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think most people probably consider him the the number two, and then we'll see how the kind of draft workouts, all that stuff goes. But, yeah, I think the more interesting case would be, like, if you're at two – like, then do you go for the – because Miller, if you think he's close enough, mm-hmm. do you go? Where are you, where are you guys on that? Would you take – who would you take it just to? I, I'd go Brandon Miller just because I, I do think that you're getting a really good player, but you're getting also a player that fits into what you need. And I, I just – I wish Scoot Henderson was taller. They list him at 6'1". Is that six foot? It's just at, at Leonard, with Brandon Miller, you're getting more of that prototypical wing, in my opinion. Yeah, well, Fachi, you said you were kind of disappointed with how Brandon Miller played in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I that, definitely was. Does that turn you off at all? Does it make you feel like he's not that guy? Here's the thing. I mean, we can't hold those games against him for the rest of his life. You know, the guy's going to play a lot of basketball moving forward. Do I wish that he didn't go scoreless in round one of the NCAA tournament and still be picking at number two or three? Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more. But I think that the best basketball is in front of him. And he's he's a, a surefire talent, in my opinion, especially when you're talking about picking two or three. Yeah, this is a good question, Derek. I, I think that I probably I, I put up my big board and I have I have Brandon Miller number two for the Pacers for that reason. I, I just do. think positional wise, you know, not saying he's going to be Paul George, but he could be your best wing since Paul George. And I think that's what this team desperately needs is just wing play. Your guard play is so talented already with Nimhard, Matherin, and Halliburton that it just makes more sense to take a forward if they're both on the board, but you know, that's, that's a tough call. I mean, I, I would hate to be in the Pacers shoes and pass up on a guy like Scoot and then just see him torch the league for the next 10 years. But I think you just have to like make the right decision for your franchise and not worry about what he does for another franchise. Just do what's best for your team. Because 
nobody knows. And I think that Brandon Miller is such an interesting player because of all the stuff he had happen off the court this year. Are those some red flags? I've seen some people that have him out of their top 10 because of his inconsistencies. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think those are some hot and wild takes by people just trying to draw some attention to their, uh, to their draft boards and stuff like that. But for me, for me, Derek, I'm curious your thoughts on this, but uh, are you, are you taking Brandon or Scoot if you have the number two overall pick? To be honest, I would have to dive into them more before I'm comfortable making a call on that. Um, I'm trying not to fall in love with anybody until the lottery is over. So I don't want That's to dive smart. into any, any prospects uh, too much until I know where the Pacers are picking officially. Um, I will say, like, when I watched Brandon Miller, um, like, just the way he dribbles reminds me of Paul George. Yeah. Like, he just has, like, he, he moves similarly. I'm not saying they're going to be the same player or anything, but just, like, I don't know, seeing that 24, even in a red jersey since Paul went to Fresno State, like, and just the way he dribbles with his left hand, there's just a very similar uh, body movements with how they move, and it doesn't doesn't mean anything necessarily, <laughs> but it's definitely enticing as someone who, as anybody who watched Paul George. No, I definitely, I definitely understand those comparisons, and it's hard not to get excited about like thinking of what he could be potentially. But uh, let's move on to our next question. This one comes from Indy Pacer. I'll go to you first, Fachi, for this one. Uh, would you trade for Paul George? It's a bit risky looking. Uh, you know, the recent availability, the recent availability that he's had, but um, would you trade for Paul George? There's like a three-part question here, so we'll start with that one. Look, I love Paul George. I was someone that when he asked for that trade, I took it so hard. I really did. I'll never back down from it. I probably took it too hard, but I would not trade for Paul George. I'll tell you right now. One, ironically, it's his birthday as we speak. That's how big of a Paul George fan I am that, you know, it's like, this is his birthday. I had to throw that out there. Second of all, look, He's he just turned 33 today. He has one year guaranteed left on his contract, and then about a $49 million player option. This is a player that has not played more than 56 games in either of the last four years. And I don't think there's a good chance that he would resign here because he's still chasing after that ring. So I think it's far too bold of a trade for the Pacers to make at this time. Eric? Yeah, I think the the big problem with doing it is what would it cost? Like, that's a huge, like, sure, would I love Paul George on this team in a vacuum? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the injuries are concerning, but he's a, he's the perfect, like, thing that they're missing if he's healthy and if you're, you can get him with the – but the price would be way too much. The Clippers are not going to throw in the towel without – getting back a ton of stuff, even if there's only one year guaranteed on Paul George's deal. Um, so that's that would be the big hesitation. Uh, you don't want to give up too much for a guy who both is 33, has some injury concerns over the last however many years, four you said he hasn't played over 56, I think you said. So, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, it's just there's too many question marks to like give up what you would need to give up to get him. And I don't even know what, what would the Clippers want other than a basket of picks that would entice them anyway. So, yeah, I, th- I think they'd probably be asking for Matherin back. I mean, I think that's, so. Yeah. That's without a and doubt. That's way too, way too much. Yeah. I mean, because you're looking at nine years, right? Or at least eight more years, probably, of a controlled contract where Paul can leave after the next year and so much more cost effective to have Matherin. Yeah. I wouldn't do it either. I, I think that the idea of Paul George, 
and having him on this roster is exciting, but there's just so many like things like you guys both have pointed out that make it like too hard to like really swallow that pill. It's not worth everything you'd have to give up to get him, let alone how much you have to pay him. And 33 years old, it's kind of weird to think of Paul George being that old at this point. Because it feels like it wasn't too long ago that he got drafted, but that was 13 years ago. Like, it's really weird to say that out loud, but like the guy's born in 1990. So it's, uh, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, I, I guess, you know, being 30, 31, like we both are Fudge, it's, uh, you don't realize that guys are like our age are getting older than us and stuff like that. <laughs> so yep. it's like, it's weird. It's really weird. But yeah, I just think Paul George's prime is behind him. I don't really know how much of, you know, prime Paul George we're going to see. And and doesn't it kind of feel like he understands that he's declining just a little bit by his playoff P or not playoff P, but podcast P that he's got out now? Because it seems like he's reflecting quite a bit on that. He is reflecting quite a bit. And he has openly said that he's accepted he can't be the number one guy on a team going for a championship. And I'm sorry, but if you trade Benedict Mather and a ton of picks, you're looking to Paul George to be that alpha guy for you. Of course, you still have Tyrese Halliburton, but like, you look at those two, and it's like if the Clippers couldn't get it done with Kawhi and Paul George, I don't think the Pacers are going to get it done with Halliburton and Paul George. As exciting as that would be, you're, the demand now is you got to win a championship. And I don't think after what we would have to trade for Paul George that we have enough to then build on top of this roster. Mm, I completely agree. Uh, well, let's move on to the next part of this question. Um, Derek, would you start Andrew Nimhard next season or let him be the primary bench point guard? I think the, the tough part about this question is just like not knowing what else the rest of the roster is going to be. Um, I'd like, really, I'd like for him to be able to do both. If the, if it makes sense to start him still, like I ideally, I would like to still start him. Um, maybe not ideally, but, if it makes sense to start him, I would still start him and then maybe take him out a little earlier than all the other starters and then bring him back in to run the bench unit. I love TJ McConnell, but I think it might just be time to see what you can get and let Nimhard run it. Um, just because I think that's the only way he's going to reach his ceiling is if he gets more of those on-ball reps and he's not going to get a ton with Halberton on the floor and he shouldn't. But yeah, I still want to see him like start and play against those guys in the starting lineups and get some more chemistry with all the other guys. But yeah, I think I, would, I think I don't know. It's 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 hard <laughs> with uh, just not knowing yeah, what the right. roster's going to look like. Totally fair, and I and I agree with you there. I'll answer this one real quick and then let you close this one out, Flatch. Um, it's it's tough because he was probably the best. One of the best defenders, if not the best defender on the Pacers this year, perimeter defense-wise. I know Aaron Neesmith had some really good moments, but I feel like Nimhart did a better job of staying out of foul trouble when it came down to those two because we saw Neesmith really have to learn how to stay out of foul trouble as the season went along. And I think it does help having a secondary playmaker in that starting five just be able to move the ball around because Mather and his guy looking for his shot. Miles is really not known for his playmaking. And then Neesmith, if he's the other fifth guy out there, we know that he's not really known for playmaking either. So it's it's nice to have someone that can play off of Tyrese a little bit and be that secondary playmaker. So I understand all that. And while I agree with you, I think it might be time to, you know, move on from TJ McConnell. We know that's not going to happen. This front <laughs> office, this coaching staff, they're obsessed with him. Uh, they always love the little engine that, that could. And, uh, you know, I, I think that as much as McConnell has improved as a player, and I think that he's done a good job this year of improving, especially the three-point shot, 
I, I just wonder, like, is he going to be a liability in a playoff series because of his size? And is that where Nimhard's size can really come in and make things a little bit easier so you have a guy that's able to guard a little bit, maybe one through four, and, and be that switchable guy? So to me, I think it does make sense to start him. Even if you do draft somebody, I, I don't have any trust that Carlisle is going to throw a, a guy into the starting lineup unless it's like a top three pick um, to start the year. I, I can really see them doing something similar to what they did with Matherin and bringing them along slowly off the bench. But that's where I think you just, I think Nimhart has just got so much chemistry with most of the guys in the starting lineup that you just let him continue to start, but then stagger his minutes where he's pretty heavily involved with the second unit and, and can kind of be more of a featured scorer there, Vach. Yeah, that, that's exactly how I see it. It's best to stagger the minutes. I do think similar to what you guys are both saying, look, unless we bring in maybe like a true wing that all of a sudden is starting at the three, and then you have Matherin starting at the two. And yeah, Nemhard is definitely primarily coming off the bench. But I do think there's many scenarios where we see Halliburton as a starter. You got Nemhard at the two. You have Matherin as the three. I think we've seen enough that you know Matherin could play the three. Um, that's the scenario that I think. But I do think that you want him at times running that second unit. I think that's where he would get you know be able to grow the most as a player. So I think we're all in agreement that there are many scenarios where we see Nimhard starting. Is it what's best for the team? I, I don't know. That, that 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 very much depends. But I would like his minutes staggered so it's never like, well, he's starting, but he never really has the ball in his hands. Yeah, no, I, 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 get, I get what you're saying there, Fachi. Let's move on to this last question here from Indy Pacer. Do you feel it's time to make an all-in move this season or wait until next season? What do you think, Derek? Um, so all my answers are, it depends. No, uh, <laughs> probably not. I would not do it this off season. Um, most likely, I don't, I don't know. It just, it depends what, what I guess what you consider all in. I don't think they're ready to push in all the chips like the Bucks did for Drew Holiday. Um, like I just try like this team trying to think of a player that you could give up like four picks and whatever else swap wise. And I just, it's hard to think of the player that would make sense to do that and be like, yeah, this is the team. We got it. We got just one guy and now we're good like that. I can't think of a guy that that would be it. And we'd have a team that we'd think, yeah, this is going to be it. You know, those players just truly don't grow on trees. I don't think that we're ready for the all-in move because look what the Suns traded for KD. I mean, Mikel Bridges is is you know potentially like a star in the making. I mean, Cameron Johnson also a real good player. A ton of draft picks, a ton of firsts were involved for that. The Suns are down two nothing in the second round. The Timberwolves traded everything for Rudy Gobert. <laughs> when I mean, look at them now. I mean, it, it was rough. They got bounced as the eighth seed. So then next you're talking about like, you know, the Cavs, the Cavs yeah. traded a lot. Lori marketing was one, uh, uh, one of the breakout players of the year. All the draft picks, the Cavs got bounced in, in round one. They all good players that they traded for, but didn't translate to winning as much as the move that you made with the bucks and drew holiday. That was great. You got a championship out of it. We're nowhere close to that. We don't have our Giannis. So if there's an opportunity to bring in a player like OG, that could be far more cost effective. Uh, then that's kind of where I'm at for the Pacers to take a step forward. But after one year of rebuilding, I guess, one true year, I don't think that we're ready to push all of our chips in and say, we're going for it all. And I, and I think, honestly, and this is nothing against Indy Pacer, but I think a lot of Pacer fans think like a move for OG is going all in. 
instead yeah. of like, but that's how they view it because they're yeah. like, well, we're going really aggressive. We're offering this big package. I don't think people realize that uh, like what going all in actually means for a trade. And I, I think I've been subject to that as well myself. So maybe that's why I'm more sympathetic with like understanding why some people probably get this a little bit confused when they're saying it. I think this is the off season to try to make a big move because of yeah. the, the stuff that you have in terms of cap space. It's not a lot, but it's a decent amount. And I think, you also have Tyrese before he goes into his max and, and that kind of thing does make a lot of sense to me. But in terms of like mortgaging the future for somebody, I don't see it right now. Anything can happen in the NBA, but I just, I just don't see it. Like even, even the rumblings about Jalen Brown. Um, I think that's a name that a lot of people have like dreamed about just because he's been a really good player on a really good Boston Celtics team. Is that somebody you'd go all in for? And I think, you can make the case for it because he's still relatively in his prime, right? So I think that you can make the case for it. But at this point, you guys just said, does Paul George and Tyrese Halliburton get you a championship? Probably not. So does going all in for Jalen Brown with this team get you where you need to go? I would say probably not either, but it is a right step in the right direction. And I think that's all you can really hope for is like, let's just continue making the right steps forward. So I think if they have the opportunity, Derek, to to make a move and, and try to bolster this roster with um, a, a nice trade, like like acquiring somebody on the same talent level as OG Ananobi, then you do that. But that to me is not an all in move. Yeah, I think the the big thing you got to think about when you make an all in move is that like you're pushing all of your chips in. So mm. after this, you have nothing else left to trade to make your team better. Because if you still have stuff left, that's not going all in. Yeah, yeah so I, I think, think that's a great point. And I think like a move for OG, like that's more than reasonable this summer. If you can find find a deal that's right and you are confident that like that when he was covering his hands, that he was actually saying, hey, Tyrese, <laughs> I want to come play with you, which feels more and more possible now because like if Pritchard's like, yeah, Tyrese is a partner, I would not shock me in the slightest if like Tyrese after that was just like, hey, KP, OG wants to come here, and that's why he offered all those picks for him. It would make perfect sense. Mm. No, that that would, and we got to put the tinfoil hat on there because I want to believe. I want to believe it's <laughs> that scenario right there. But, yeah, I'm not ready to be like, hey, you know what? Take our four first-round picks, and let's let's throw in some pick swaps. Let's also throw in maybe, you know, an Andrew Nemhart. Like, it's just we're not ready for that type of move. And there's very few teams that have made those moves, and then – been able to be like, all right, yeah, it was worth it. I mean, look at the Brooklyn Nets who made that deal with the Boston Celtics years ago. And that, that led to the picks that became a Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown and stuff like that. So it just feels like it rarely pays off. But if you're going to make a move like that, you better already have a superstar on the roster. Yeah, and I think it could make some sense for just the Pacers to wait till next offseason to go after OG and Anobi. When he's a free yep. agent. I mean, will they have this amount of cap space? I haven't looked far enough to know what their potential cap, sca- uh, cap space could be. But I do know that if they keep Buddy Hield and kind of run him back with the same group, we know he's off the books. Uh, Daniel Tice will have that team option. He can come off the books. I think McConnell has a team option on that final year of his contract, if I'm not mistaken. It's only partially guaranteed. Partially uh, guaranteed. I think like four, four million out of the roughly nine right. is guaranteed. So they could create enough cap space, I believe, to go out and get him and not this offseason, but the next. And that might be more uh more effective because they won't have to give up as much. You can just sign him out right in free agency. So that to me could make a lot of sense. Let's move on to our next question. This one is from Basketball John. Uh, he said, Do you think Rick 
should have given more minutes to Benedict. He would have easily scored 20 per game if he played in garbage time. Um, or do you think Rick was really trying to make him earn the minutes the old-fashioned way? I'll start with you first, Derek. I've gone back and forth with this. Uh, like, there's times where I'm like, what? what are we doing? Like, why is he not in the game? And other times I'm like, okay, I, like – when Rick would, there was one game where he only played like 15 minutes and like Rick just was like, coach's decision, didn't say anything else about it. But then the next game, he like really like went into detail about why and it made a lot more sense. Um, so like, I understand what he's going for. Like he's trying to hold him accountable. Um, there's a lot to be said for having accountability so you don't look like the Rockets do all the time with their young guys who are just creating bad habit after bad habit. Um I think you gotta you gotta walk the line where how does he get more experience and get better at things if he's not on the floor? So I think there are only a few games really where it was like egregious, where like he definitely should have played more. I think like two games in the season where he played like fifteen or less minutes. Other than that, like I think it was fine for the most part. I know I think the question mentions is something about like could have averaged more if he played in garbage time. That was kind of weird. Like maybe you just don't want him to play in garbage time because he's going to be more likely to do the things that he shouldn't be doing because the game's out of hand. Mm-hmm. So you want him to kind of force good habits by playing only when the game kind of matters. That's the only thing I could think of where you wouldn't want him to play in those kind of blowout games. Um, but yeah, I've kind of, I think it was fine for the most part this year. Watch. Yeah, I think, Selfishly, I think we all wanted more Mather and more minutes, more starts, more shots, more points. Like we wanted it all. But I think Rick taught him how to play the game the right way. He held him accountable. I think uh, it, it didn't matter if he was going to score 20 points, if he was going to let up even more than that. So defensively, yeah, he's got a long way to go. And, and Rick held him accountable for that. And it's funny that you mentioned the Houston Rockets because that was a talking point that I had down there is like whenever things go bad, I always look at like, okay, things can be way worse there could be what's going on in houston where you handed the keys to jalen green on day one and we're just like go out there and do whatever you want get us 30 do whatever and it's like that locker room's running wild right now and i just feel like we were able to to keep matherin in check but also let him know hey you really want to see the court and you know for x amount of minutes and start more games you gotta buy in on the defensive end and i guarantee that's got to be at the top of his list this year in this offseason compared to, you know, maybe a, a player like a Jalen Green or someone on the Rockets where it was just like, hey, you know what, let's let's run it back. Let's go for it. Nothing really changed, and they were just as bad as they were the previous year. Yeah, while I was upset at times with Matherin's minutes and kind of frustrated he wasn't getting playing time or I didn't like how the offense was running and probably not getting him as involved, I wanted to see him do different things. I think we always have to kind of go back to what Rick Carlisle said at the beginning of the season, and that is that Ben Matherin wants to be coached hard. And that's exactly what Rick Carlisle did. He held him accountable on it. You know, there's probably some stuff they let him get away with early on because he was making so many tough shots. Like the numbers that he put up in October, November, when he won rookie of the month for those, you know, months that were combined together, he was really good. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but you saw how the season prolonged his three-point shot kept continuing to dip and you saw like defenses started to figure out how he plays. And so now it's a different challenge. And then defensively, we knew this about Ben in college, but in the NBA, I think it's just like, you got to break those habits. Like you said, Derek, he just gets lost on defense way too often. And he, he ball watches. He's kind of like lackluster. doesn't seem like he's fully engaged. And I think that while it was frustrating at times, 
we have to trust that Rick Carlisle, a Hall of Fame coach, knows what he's doing with these guys. And while he can be kind of, you know, a tough coach, especially on younger players, he can coach them hard. That's what he wanted. So it did make sense to me after I look back and reflect on it, why he had probably a little bit of a longer leash with Andrew Nimhard is one, Nimhard's a little bit more experienced because he played in college longer. And two, he was a much better defender. If Matherin had been as bought in defensively as he was offensively, then maybe you see him get more minutes. So I think that Ben had to earn his minutes. And while he did it offensively, Derek, I think that defensively is what really kept him. Um, and there's some offensive stuff too, where he didn't like run to the corner on offensive cuts. And like, if he didn't get the ball, I just kind of stood there. But mostly I think if he had bought in more on the defensive side of things, you probably see him get more minutes and maybe even a chance to start a little bit sooner, Derek. Yeah. His defense, uh, was concerning <laughs> just like which rookies <laughs> often are very bad but he also just has like the doug mcdermott thing where he just like puts his hands up and thinks that automatically he can't foul if he has his hands up which just invites so many like good players to just run into your arm and then you get a foul on an and one um and he's incredulous that uh a foul was called but yeah uh he's got a long way to go on the defensive end and that completely makes sense why you uh would need to hold him accountable like hey if you you got to be better on this end you got to hold your attention hold your focus and not get lost on defense because it would happen far too often or he'd get caught on screens uh just a long way to go on the defensive end for sure Bachi, any final thoughts before we move on to our next question no i think you know just like maybe similar to like a, a teacher or anything like that you always remember the fun teacher but you always remember the teacher that taught you the most and, and derek i actually you are a teacher, so I mean, I guess for what you, are you probably Derek? like, which one am I? Yeah, <laughs> but that is, uh, I think I become less and less fun every year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think we lose a little Mr. bit of Kramer. as we get older, but I, I do think there's there's always that. Hey, you know, maybe a boss. Hey, this boss taught me a lot, and that boss was just fun. We did whatever we wanted. Carlisle is being that boss that is teaching, and I think that that's going to pay off the most long-term for Matherin as his career goes on. All right, let's move on to our next question. This one comes from faithful listener DJ Davis. He's always good for a mailbag question. DJ said, which players on the current roster do you predict may be traded along with draft picks 26, 29, and possibly 32 uh, for another team's player? And then he said, potentially OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam and why? Fachi, I'll let you take this one first. Uh, I think Duarte is going to be included in the mix because th there is such a log jam at the guard position that I just think it's going to be hard to find him playing time. The players that you mentioned, I do not think are going to be available for picks 26, 29, and possibly 32. Uh, those are uh, not looked at as great picks. Yes, they are still first-round picks for the most part, but I, I think that Duarte at least is still on a very favorable contract. He could be a good three-point shooter. But then also, you know, if you're looking to maybe swing for a little bit further than hitting a, a, a double or a single or anything like that, Buddy, I think, could very well be someone that if the Pacers can't come to uh, an agreement on the right type of role for Buddy Heald, he's obviously an elite three-point shooter that salary-wise will be able to bring back a better player than a Chris Duarte and picks. So uh, I, I don't think that you're going to be able to get Pascal Siakam with anything that we mentioned in, in this uh, category over here, but because you know players are going for huge packages these days, but a player like Duarte, Buddy, maybe Isaiah Jackson, I think those are the players that could be included with those type of picks. 
Derek? Yeah, I think you you nailed my uh, top guys most likely to be traded this offseason. I like Buddy's number one, and then the 2021 draft class are yep. two and three, whatever order you want to say them in, but Duarte and Isaiah Jackson uh, in whatever order. Um, I think those are probably the most likely to be dealt in whatever thing. I don't – my bet would be whatever they do, that they don't pick at 26 or 29. Mm-hmm. And they do something to either move up in the draft and get a second pick, or they move those picks into some kind of deal for a vet. I don't know, or maybe not even a vet, but a younger guy that fits their timeline. <clears throat> um, trying to predict who that is is interesting, or who what team would be interested in taking those late first rounders. Um, but I, there's just not there's not enough room on the roster for the Pacers to bring in that many rookies unless they're sending a bunch of players out in another deal. So I do not expect that they'll keep all those picks towards the end and they'll try to move them in some way. Yeah. I think that if you look at the draft order right now, you can look at like 18 or 19 where the Lakers and the Warriors are at because of how their salary cap situation could look like. And they could really value picks 26 and 29, just being able to maybe find some pieces in the end of the draft that they could add. Obviously, I think if you're trying to win a championship, you're still going to look at the free agency market and try to add some like bet minimum kind of guys or, or lower tier players to add to your roster. But there's a lot of question marks with what could happen with the future of the roster of Golden State. Obviously, the Lakers, they, they've got their eyes set on Kyrie Irving still, I think, but they could bring D'Lo back. Who knows? But I think one of those two teams could make sense to trade up with. And I think we already know the Warriors did covet. Chris Duarte two years ago in the draft and how Joe Lakeup slammed the table whenever Chris Duarte was taken above and they had to take Moses Moody. But I think Moses Moody has proven himself. Um, at least at least he did in the Kings series. I didn't think he was unplayable. I actually thought he had some nice moments in that series. I'm not saying that they would trade him, and I'm, I'm hoping that they would, but I don't think they will. But that to me is more like, uh, could you package Chris Duarte and 26 and 29 for Moody and 18. Is that something that you could do? Would they do that? I don't know. Obviously, Duarte's injury concerns have really, I think, impacted his overall value. But I do think Isaiah Jackson is a sleeper guy that could be moved. And a name that we didn't bring up, I think, unless Fachi did and I didn't hear him, Jalen Smith. I feel like that's a guy that easily could be on the move as well. I don't really think he has much value, though, so that doesn't really excite any teams. But there, it only takes one team to be excited about somebody where you're like, hey, we're getting a guy, you know, maybe the Wizards are stupid enough to trade for Jalen Smith because, you know, he's from Maryland, and they're like, oh, yeah, bring him home, something like that. But I'm just saying, I feel like there's decent pieces the Pacers have that you would be okay moving off of, I think. But at the same point, how how much do, are you willing to take back? Because if you do trade Buddy, there's a good chance you're probably going to take on a bad contract back. So, you know, could Miami try to – get in there and get involved and maybe try to give you Duncan Robinson for Buddy Hill. I don't think that'd be a good move for the Pacers because of how many years are left on his deal. But I just think that could kind of be one way they look at it is trying to consolidate the roster and maybe taking on a, a semi-bad contract, Bachi. Well, I mean, I just think – what would there be a pick attached with Duncan Robinson? Just yeah, they'd really- have to do something. I mean, I'm just saying, like, if they're if the Pacers are trying to move up to where they're picking it, I don't even know where their pick's at in this draft. I, I have no idea where the Heat – Or if they even are. have it. <laughs> I don't know if they do because they, they have I'll made some moves uh, previously. But, yeah, no, it, it, there's – the only way that I'm, I think Buddy – well, Buddy would be included if you're going to bring in a player that is making, you know, uh, upwards of, you know, 20-plus million dollars or anything like that. He helps facilitate that type of scenario. But – 
I don't think the Pacers should draft more than two players in this draft in any scenario. I think that, you know, I think we're all in agreement over here. You package 26, 29, who knows what happens with if you get the 32nd overall pick. But I think that you want to walk out. At some point, you need to know, hey, we're already a young team. It's hard to get some of these players playing time. So don't bring in, you know, more than two players. But the reason why I left Jalen Smith out is I just felt that he didn't really have, sounds rough to say, any real value around the league to be more than just kind of a throw in at that point I'd rather keep him on the roster and hopefully be able to get him playing time so that's why I left him off Derek any anything you want to say back to what I said because I know I spoke a little bit of crazy stuff there oh you're good you're good uh I mean I I love your idea I don't know if the Warriors would be interested in <laughs> swapping Moody for those two um but yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Maybe Kaminga gets so frustrated with his role that he's like, "Get me out of here." Yeah. Like the, but like even then, like other teams are probably going to offer more than what the Pacers would. So, like, there's there's who knows what's going to happen. Like the, like we've said, the NBA you just never know. So like some crazy stuff could happen. But those those picks, like I would love the Pacers to just if they can't trade them to just take some shots in the dark at some big wings towards the end of the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe get lucky and Chris Murray falls down that far. Although I feel like if the Kings, <laughs> if the Kings see him there, they're taking him. Yeah. Uh, there's no way, there's no way they're going to let, let the twin pass him by. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like they're just, the problem is there's just not enough room on the roster to take that many rookies. Like they've had two first round picks which is nuts because they never had two first round picks before this, but they had two in 21. They had two in 22 basically with Nimhard. So like they've just, they've been racking them up. Now they got three. So it'll yeah. be interesting to, to see what the, what, what Kevin Pritchard's able to make, make work and make some magic happen. But there's, a, we'll see. There's a bunch of teams that maybe they'll be willing to move down or they'll have some, some guy they want to get rid of. And yeah. Yeah. Well, my, I mean, Miami is Miami is at 18, just so you know. It's Lakers at 17, yes. Miami at 18, and then Golden State at 19. So if somebody in that range just to jump the Kings and maybe take a flyer on Chris Murray, that to me can make a lot of sense. I know a lot of people have talked about Murray being like 22 to 30 range. I kind of seen him all that place recently. Like he's kind of fallen off a little bit. And I'm sorry to cut you off, Flash, but I just think that okay. it it does kind of make sense for Miami to want to add two more picks just because we know they're cap strapped too especially Jimmy Butler. I think he's making close to like 50 million extra, something like that. So mm-hmm. uh, he'll be making a lot of money. Bam out of bio is going to be making some money here. Uh, they Kyle have Lowry. to move Kyle Lowry. They have yeah, to. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know if they can. Not I don't know us. what his contract situation is, to be honest. But, uh, you know, like Duncan Robinson, obviously, is an easy name to throw out because they definitely overpaid for him. And I don't really want anything to do with Duncan Robinson. No. But <laughs> I think that there is like the Pacers, like everybody viewed Buddy as like the worst contract ever. I think that Carlisle could probably find value out of Duncan Robinson and potentially flip him if it made sense. But at the end of the day, it's something I would probably stay away from, but it's just, they're a team to me that could make sense as a one that wants to trade 18 to get 26 and 29 or 26 and 32. So they can kind of trade one for two and still kind of target a few players that could make sense for their roster. I could very well see them, you know, trying to include 18 if someone would take Kyle Lowry or something like that to get him off the books. I don't think that 18 is enough to take a player like Duncan Robinson, who, you know, was at, at times unplayable for them. Um, but, you know, one going back to Derek's point, 
One thing that kind of was a head-scratcher at the time, but just remember, Rui Hachimura got traded for a couple of second-round picks. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a player who, uh, you know, for the, for the first three games of that Memphis series, was actually one of the best players for the Lakers. I remember he dropped like 29 in Game 1 at 20 points in Game 2. So it makes me feel that, you know, if KP does his homework, which I know he will, there will be a player out there that can be had for – picks 26 and 29, or even just one of those that maybe hasn't been able to get enough playing time on a team, still young, still under contract. So, you know, who knows? It might not be, you know, the the guy to move the needle that much, but it could be a more seasoned player ready to fit with this group compared to a guy that you're picking at pick 29, which, you know, it's a mystery box over there. Yeah, um, I'll just say this real quick. Kyle Lowry is a free agent in 2024. He's making $29 million next year. So you could package Buddy and Tice for Lowry with those picks and swap it. Pretty much, obviously, Lowry doesn't fit, but he could play off the bench. You could flip him. You could buy him out. He could go somewhere else, and then you have that money for next offseason in 2024. When who's a free agent? OG Ananobi. That, to me, could make some sense for the Pacers. Derek, before we wrap up this part of the episode – do you like that idea or do you hate it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't. On here. <laughs> I'm in the middle. I don't like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'd have to think about it more. Uh, <laughs> I don't like, I don't hate Kyle Lowry. Um, even if you like kept him on as a, they just don't need another point guard is the problem. Yeah, that's what she I'm said saying. We could just, you said we could just buy him out. Like, I think he would be a good, like, winning presence, even if he's not as good as he once was. Um, but there's just no room for him, like, in terms of what the Pacers already have on the roster. Uh, the only other name I'll throw out, which is probably still not enough to get him, would be Obi Toppin, which he just – he's looked good in the playoffs. I don't know how he's doing tonight or how he did tonight with uh, in game two, but uh, that would be another one where if they could try to – figure out how to Duarte in both of those, Duarte in one of those, Ajax in one of those, whatever, something. If that would entice the Knicks with Obi, who's been kind of back and forth with playing time, that would be interesting for me. Yeah, 10 minutes uh, for me. Obi tonight, zero points, <laughs> one rebound, one foul. So he's not even in foul trouble. There we go. Just not Lower your stock. Tonight. Lower uh, your stock, Obi. Good five, job. Five minutes, 52 seconds left. The Heat are up by two, 95-93. So this is oh. definitely a lot closer than I think people expected. But um, Caleb Martin, shout out to him. Me and Rhett talked about him on the last pod we just did on the, over the weekend. But Caleb Martin leading the, leading the Heat and scoring tonight, 22 points. That's what he does. The Heat have done such a fantastic job of finding those diamond-in-the-rough type players and getting the most out of them. I mean, Jimmy Butler goes down. You got a guy like Caleb Martin stepping up. Playing, you know, in one of the biggest scenarios for him, you know, 22 points that you just mentioned. Awesome. But Derek, to your point on Obi Toppin, I could not be more in. I want Toppin in a Pacer uniform so bad. One of my one of my closest friends who's a Knicks fan, all the time I'm saying 26-29. I said the same offer you said. 26-29 Duarte, and he's just like, beat it. Get lost, whatever. We'll see. <laughs> I want that Obi value to go down so we could get him at a great rate. I just don't think when push comes to shove, that the Knicks are going to re-sign him knowing that you would be re-signing a guy that you just see as the backup to Julius Randle. So I do think that he will be available. I don't know if 26-29 Duarte is what can get the job done, but the Knicks at some point want more assets to go after a star. Maybe those picks can help them. Derek, I'll let you respond to that. Yeah, like I, I think I'm in agreement. Like It's probably not enough 
but I would also like Obi just him and Tyrese, just the way Obi runs the floor and Tyrese always being able to hit that. Like, it's just so intriguing to me. And like, we saw what he looked like in the, the tanky Pacers against the tanky Pacers in those couple games and how good he looked. He looked good. So, yeah. Yeah. So I like Obi a lot and that would, that would be something that interests me if they can find a way to make it work. Would you trade, would you trade Buddy and Duarte for Evan Fournier and Obi Toppin? Both of you. What do they, what do they got left on Fournier's deal? Fournier's... Same thing. So, so he's got one year that after that. So this is the last year where he's got money guaranteed. The final year completely unguaranteed. So, so it's an expiring, basically. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I'd I'd, I'd do it. I'm Fournier's, Fournier's completely washed, but yeah. he he is. Look, you're like, not going to get... need to play, which is fine. Yeah, he doesn't need to play. You're not going to get any defense out of him. But what people forget is that he broke the Knicks franchise single season three point record the year that he did play. So it's just like if you're still looking for three point shooting, he could provide that, but you don't need. It to play him and you're not taking on any additional salary and it's pretty much exactly the same of a swap i believe it's about 18 million dollars which mm-hmm. which is like within one million dollars of what buddy's making yeah i think also, we, would, we, do we would have be, time left for yeah, this yeah we, we got we got time go ahead i will say that uh with i think the pacers might regret moving buddy this year mm-hmm. if matherin turns out to not quite be ready to take over that too i hope he is but that could be a, like if they trade him, but Matherin still needs some more seasoning before he's ready to take on that starting two role. That could hurt. Although you could also argue that Buddy's defense kind of cancels out everything he does on offense anyway. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree with that. I will say this, though. I would rather I'd rather Matherin get the reps and fail yep. and know what you're getting out of him than to basically – have Buddy right there just ready to take over the moment he starts failing because I think that's the last thing that the front office probably wants. But I can see Carlisle falling in love back with Buddy because, I mean, he has got such a respect for Buddy, and I get it because Buddy is such a good off-ball mover. Like Tyrese jokes about it. Like he almost gets in the way sometimes because he's just constantly moving. But I, I think that you just kind of have to let Matherin flourish in that role. And 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 even if it doesn't flourish, like just let him, let him fail if he doesn't end up playing – like you hope he does. But I, I don't really ever see that. It's going to be hard for me to see that. I didn't see it with Chris Duarte either this year. So, um, But injuries, I think, also played a big part in that. And I think your fallback is you can always put Nimhart at the two. Yep, that's true. That's true. If you get enough wings to where if Mathurin needs some more time off the bench, yeah, just play Nimhart at the two and play some other wings. Neesmith, I think he's proven enough. He could play the three. If you go out and get a four, you draft a four. I mean, if you get Obi Top and whatever, I think – that to me could make sense, even though it might not be like the perfect, like this is a playoff team, you know, fit. Right. It, it, at least it makes you feel better because you're still embracing a youth movement, but you're also, you know, still trying to compete at the same time. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, Foch, but. No, I mean, I, I think that the Pacers have options. I think with Buddy, we might have seen the best basketball that, that he's played. And I'm not saying it was just this year, but I, I think that he's at that pivotal point where, hey, 30 years old, turning 31, I, b- I believe. One more contract, you could start to end up being like, well, what are we going to do with this Buddy Hield contract? I think the Pacers are at that perfect time to usher in the Matherin era. And, and if Buddy isn't receptive to a bench roll, this time, right now, this offseason, is the time to make the move. 
Absolutely. So this is going to wrap up part three of the mailbag. We're going to come back tomorrow with part four. We've got about four more questions to answer. So um, if you haven't heard your question read yet, we're getting to it, but let's go ahead. Bacha, let people know where they can find us out on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F a C C I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers talk. You can find us on Facebook at setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash Setting the Pace of Pacers Podcast. And make sure you subscribe to our Substack, Setting the Pace Podcast.substack.com. That's a lot. I'll put a link in the description. But don't forget to follow Derek at iPacers. Is just iPacers or iPacers blog, Derek? At iPacers blog on Twitter, iPacers.com. I know Alex has got some good draft board stuff on the Substack. So check that out. Yeah, I appreciate that. I know, Derek, I'm excited for your offseason content. I really enjoyed the trade deadline, kind of like simulator type thing where there was like all these different options of what could happen. So maybe we'll get something like that for the offseason. We'll have to see. I'm not putting any pressure on you, Derek, but I would Uh, love to see. No promises, but I want to try to do another one of those. (laughs) All right. Well, everybody, we're going to sign off here, but Derek, Fachi, both hit me with it. If you're excited for the future of the Pacers, hit me with those three words. Let's go, Pacers. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.